This episode of Day 2 Cloud is brought to you in part by IT Pro TV. Start or grow your IT career with online IT training from IT Pro TV. And we have a special offer for all you amazing Day 2 Cloud listeners. Sign up and save 30% off all plans. ITPro.tv slash Day 2 Cloud and use promo code Cloud at checkout to save 30% off all plans. Sponsor StrongDM is secure infrastructure access for the modern stack. StrongDM proxies connections between your infrastructure and sysadmins, giving your IT team auditable, policy-driven, IAC-configurable access to whatever they need, wherever they are. Find out more at strongdm.com slash packetpushers. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud, and today we're doing a career-oriented show. We are interviewing Amy Collier. Amy is uh, someone that Ned and I know, and she just went through five or something interviews and ended up landing a gig. And so we said, Amy, we should pick your brain about interviewing and interview skills and all that kind of stuff. Wouldn't That, that, that was pretty much how the, the prep call went, wasn't it, Ned? Yeah, I mean, it's such a relevant topic right now because the job market is super hot. So even if you're not thinking about leaving your current job, it's definitely worth exploring to see what's out there. And maybe there's a better fit. And using her tips, you can help figure out what positions are available and maybe how you should prepare for the interviews that follow once you apply for that position. So enjoy this interview with Amy Collier about interviewing and then stay tuned. We have a Tech Byte with Singtel continuing our series on cloud networking. Amy Collier, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. And if you would tell the nice people out there, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> I like that. Like, who is your daddy? What do you do? Well, uh, <laughs> Amy Collier now I used to be Amy Manley out there. And I do a lot of things. I've been dabbling in technology for a long time, but now I'm going to be a senior cloud advocate at Microsoft. So that's my exciting news. Because I've been interviewing since about September. <laughs> so. Senior cloud advocate. So does that mean, is that a customer facing role? Um, pretty much. So it, it could be customer facing or webinars or, you know, um, going to VMworld or Ignite or, you know, going to conferences, you know. But is the idea to get folks uh, like interested in Azure technologies, that kind of thing? Yeah. Speaking the good word of Microsoft. Yes. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, you just yeah. said you just landed a role. Uh, so apparently you'd mm -hmm. been looking for a while, interviewing for a while. Well, you were doing yeah. something before. So what, what happened? When did you know that it was time to do something new? Um, well, it's funny because I was at Microsoft before and the sales role, like a pre-sales role. And then I really got that everyone talks about it the burnout you know so i was like oh gosh i just need to like kind of pivot and do something different so skylines academy we started that um or i didn't start it i joined it <laughs> um and did more of a digital tech marketing so i got to play with you know photoshop but also help record things or help create powerpoints you know and blog so it was definitely less pressure i would say or less stress like you know customer facing make your sales number ah so it was a nice break and now i'm just kind of ready to get back out there so i'm rejuvenated <laughs> <laughs> so you're just gonna step to the side do something a little bit different still stuff you're interested in so cloud mm -hmm. and creating content 
And then you thought to yourself, hey, I'm, I'm ready to put my uh, put my hat back in the ring, see yeah. what's out there. How did you go about looking at prospective employers? Were there some requirements you put together for yourself? Uh, actually, no. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> are you paying me? <laughs> <It was> pretty, <laughs> um, no, it was funny because I interviewed with some really small companies and then very large companies. So I really didn't have a you know, I want to work in a startup or I want to work in a huge, you know, conglomerate. Um, but it was mostly, again, that cloud role focused on Azure because I really don't know anything about AWS or GCP, but I was willing to learn if I needed to. Um, so it was pretty much just down to that using my skills. And then a lot of it was uh, customer, customer facing, so more like a consulting type roles until I heard about the Microsoft role. So, so you, you drilled into the role itself and less focused on the company or culture or these kind of things? Well, I mean, eventually you get to know the culture. They always actually a lot of the companies I interviewed had a really great culture. So it was definitely difficult to pick, you know, so um, I have friends that have gone on to these companies and they love it and even the really large ones where you think you would just be a number, they really try to make you feel like a human being person, not just a employee number two, six, five. So um, I don't think anyone I actually ended up interviewing with had a bad culture because usually you, you start with like maybe the CEO or someone up top, and then you talk with someone on the team and you really get to know the culture. So okay, I, if, if I felt bad about something, I'd be like, eh, I think I'm done interviewing. So <laughs> you're gauging the culture based off the interactions you're having in the interview process. Mm -hmm. Were you also talking to some folks that maybe worked at that company and left or were currently there now, but not part of the interview process to get a better feel? Oh, definitely. It's like, tell me the good, bad and the ugly, you know? So, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 My concern would be uh, anybody who's part of the interview process probably has a pretty shining opinion of the company. Right. <laughs> right. One would hope. Uh, yeah. If they're like absolutely miserable, there's a red flag. Uh, but did you talk to anybody who had been there and then left to find out, hey, why did you leave or something along those lines? Uh, definitely. Um, yeah. I'm not sure about, you know, name dropping or anything. So, uh, right, so no. yeah. I, yeah. Um, the big company. Yeah. I definitely, I talked to someone who was working there currently. Um, known in the community as well and really good guy. So he was like, I love it. And here's the things that would change, you know, but, um, and then the other company that was harder because they were so small and they were just building that group. So it was more based on who referred me to that job. It was a person higher up, kind of like a friend of a friend. Hmm. So he was like this, you know, it's great. I promise you. So have to take his word if it didn't. You know, I could always hunt him down, you know. <laughs> right. You, so you heard about that opportunity through uh, your network, through through a friend. Yes. Do you think that is is that the best way to find opportunities? Is you just like plumb your network, or are are there other ways that you'd recommend? I mean, that's the only way I've ever, I think, gotten a job. Like I've never gotten to monster.com, you know. <laughs> Like I've, you know, well, there's never a good match. It definitely helps. Like LinkedIn helps. Twitter helps. And then, yeah, just 
you know, don't burn those bridges. You know, I was messaging old coworkers. I was even going to like look at going to the customer side um, and hopefully not be on call because that's traumatic. <laughs> too old for that. Uh, it, it's it's but, funny how people impact your ability to find opportunities and then be taken seriously. So there was a job mm-hmm. I interviewed for, oh, a, a decade or more ago now. I was qualified for the job. Uh, and the role was opening because there was someone there who was leaving. It was known that they were going to be moving on at a certain time. And so they were trying to fill that role before that person left. So uh, I applied for it because a friend told me about the role. And the guy that was there buried my resume. He didn't like my qualification set or something. And I was told it was because it made him look a little bad. And so he, oh he buried it. He stuck it on the bottom of the pile. And it took me talking through my friend that had told me to apply um, to to say, hey, go to the 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 person above him and uh, bring that bring my resume back up to the top. So I have a shot at this thing. I can come in for an interview. Oh, wow. That is it wasn't just it wasn't my resume on its own merits that got me the interview. It was all Mm -hmm. this politics and nonsense going on in the background and me leaning into my friend to get that chance to have the interview, which is crazy depressing because you'd think (laughs) if you see a job on LinkedIn or Indeed or whatever and you apply for it's like, oh, my resume is a great match for this. I'll be getting a call back any second now. And then nothing (laughs) happens. Knowing people is so important. It is because, I mean, you are just another name with another resume, you know. So, yeah, knowing someone on the inside definitely helps or even just someone who knows someone who knows, you know. Right, right. Because as much as we want to think that it's purely based on merits, just look at the resume, <laughs> look at all that I've done. And obviously I'm qualified for the job. I mean, so much of it does come down to the internal politics of the organization. And unfortunately, who knows who. Right. Um, so if you've been in the, in, in the industry for a while, uh, that, that can serve you well, right? Exactly. Yeah. But I try the- to pay it forward. I, you know, I had my um, brother-in-law, he computer geek on his own, but no, you know, it's hard to get your foot in sometimes into the tech industry when, if you don't know someone. So I was working at a place, you know, customer side and at least got him like on the help desk, you know, like, Hey, just interview him, give him a shot. You know, he, plays with his PC, takes it apart. You know, I'm sure he'll be good. And yeah, he's, you know, moving up the ranks now. And so you need someone to, you know, help you out sometimes, you know, get your foot in the door and then, then you got to prove yourself. But do you have any thoughts, Amy, for those people that are listening, going, I'm new to all of this and I don't have those people to call. How do I get my foot in the door? Oh man. I would think at least, I mean, we have such a great community. I mean, that's how we know each other. I <laughs> um, met you years ago, Ethan. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think, yeah, joining, like if it's a VMUG or uh, depending what you're interested in, there's so many things online now too. Thank you, COVID. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have to travel. <laughs> um and Ignite was free, VMworld, you know, so you can go to these places where, you know, attend these functions that you normally couldn't and try to make a name for yourself. Like, I know, I didn't know who Gregor Suddy is, but like you go on Twitter and you start playing with Azure and then you, you know, you start meeting people. So he's a 
big MVP and really community focused. So um, I think just getting your name into the community, maybe start blogging or, you know, just stuff you're learning and no, from if, there. If yeah. you had any luck with recruiters or even, I mean, it sounds like you haven't had to deal with recruiters considering, you know, all these people, Amy, but uh, any, <laughs> any luck or experience with recruiters in the past? I did. Well, the, the one job I applied for that was uh, customer side um, was through like a recruiter and honestly the role wasn't really much in my realm, but I was like, I'll try. <laughs> it was a business architect. I'm like, well, like an architect, you know? Um, but I didn't know all the terminology and all the, um, tech behind it. But so they're like, Oh, all right, you'll be a junior. And then I interviewed at least that was the like easiest one. Cause it was just interview with the manager and the guy leaving and then hope they like me and go from there. <laughs> so the other ones were very involved where you're like interview number one, interview number two, interview mm. number three, <laughs> like, please stop. <laughs> so sort of, I think that leads us into the next set of questions, which is really all around the interview process. Right. And you know, you're going into an interview. Uh, what do you do to prepare for that initial interview? You've made it through the screening process or you've found the right person to push your resume through. Mm -hmm. You got that first interview. What are you doing on your side to prepare for that? I definitely look up the company, what they're doing. Um, Cause you know, just they, a lot of them do ask you a question. So what do you think we do? Or do you have any questions for us? And you're like, uh, I, I feel like it's always good to have a question for them. If you just say, no, I'm good. Yeah. They're kind of like, well, come on, try harder. So <laughs> I always try to have a question for them. I do a little research. Um, and honestly, what really helped me <laughs> was like right before an interview, I always get nervous. So I would do like a, maybe like a 20 minute, little workout, just kind of get pumped, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> and then have the energy and cause it's, it's so mentally taxing, you know, cause you're on, you know, right, just like right. presenting. So yeah, you gotta definitely be. takes a lot you know, unless you're a true, true extrovert. <laughs> I definitely want to echo that. Look up something about the company portion yeah. because uh, I've been on both sides of the interviewing table. Uh, especially in my previous role where I was interviewing a lot of people coming in and we would ask them, what do you know about the company? And if they just stared at you blankly, <laughs> that was pretty much a no go. Like unless right. they had the most amazing resume I've ever seen and their skills were undeniable. Uh, if they hadn't even bothered to look up what the company does. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. Like show some uh, effort. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not feeling real great about how motivated you're going to be, especially because it was consulting stuff. So you had to be independently self-motivated to be successful in those roles. And if you're not even going to take the initiative to look up what my company does, maybe there's something better out there for you. And it's not just what the company does. I mean, there's so much information you can find out about a company. If you drill in, go to their about page, who are the founders? What, what, mm -hmm. what is their background? Are they on LinkedIn? What were their previous endeavors? Um, mm -hmm. the, it probably, they have a, a media or a news or a press release page, read through the latest things they've been releasing to the media, because this is what they're public about. This is what they're excited about. And they want people to know about their company. Have they had a funding round recently? Uh, they'll mm -hmm. announce that, that we got 80 million series B or whatever it is. They'll, <laughs> they'll talk about that kind of stuff. 
do where are they located? Are they a global company? Are they just have mm-hmm. some, uh, you know, maybe they're a Canadian company and they've got just a one location in Toronto, but maybe mm-hmm. they're all over the world. All that stuff could be relevant. You know, dig in, oh, find definitely. that stuff. Um, it's, it's good, good stuff to know. I'm going to interrupt the podcast for a minute here to talk about IT training. You remember the ransomware attack on the gas pipeline last year? It caught your attention, probably caught mine. There's a key thing here. Cybersecurity professionals are in demand to prevent that kind of thing, but there are not enough humans out there to fill all the positions. There's over 500,000 open cybersecurity roles. You can become a cybersecurity professional if you get some training, some online training. It is never too late to start a new career in IT or move up the ladder. IT Pro TV has you covered for your training. They cover everything. CompTIA to Cisco to EC Council to Microsoft. They, they've got all of it, including the cloudy stuff. More than 5,800 hours of on-demand training. And, and the way they present the information, you know, some presenters are like, they're reading from the book and they're super boring. That is not IT Pro TV's format at all. They use engaging hosts that they're going to present the information in a talk show format and really keep it interesting. And they do it live. They, they're live every day. And then once they recorded that live show, it goes studio to web in 24 hours. As you're digging through their website, looking for content, all the courses are conveniently listed by category, certification, job role. You can find what you're looking for without a lot of trouble. And then when you pick the thing and you're ready to go, you can stream IT Pro TV's courses, uh, either the live stuff or the on-demand stuff from anywhere in the world via whatever platform you like, Roku, Apple TV, PC, or there's apps on iOS or Android. Learn IT, pass your certs, and then get a great job, maybe in cybersecurity, with IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash day2cloud for 30% off all plans. Use promo code cloud at checkout. That's itpro.tv slash day2cloud. Day2cloud is day, the number two, cloud, and then use promo code cloud at checkout. One more time, itpro.tv slash day2cloud and use promo code cloud at checkout to save 30% off all plans. And now let's get back to the podcast. So, Amy, you said you get nervous and you work out to uh, to, to to get that energy. You know, but do you? Is there another way you channel that that energy? I mean, do you think it's a a good thing or something like you shouldn't get nervous? You know, you get sweaty armpits, and that's no good in an well, interview. I mean, you don't like you know go hardcore. But it was funny because my sister in law she read a study. It was like they had students work out like a 20 minute moderate exercise and then take a test and they performed better. Hmm. So I kind of took that, you know, or if you watch Grey's Anatomy, they do the superhero pose before they do a big surgery. You know, I think it's just kind of <laughs> getting that confidence and the endorphins. You know? <laughs> so, cause I do, you know, we bring up the word uh, imposter syndrome. You always, you know, I'm like, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I don't know enough, you know, like where if they, going to ask me some crazy like some people yeah you know like what's how would you you know what's the command line for deleting an entire azure active directory forest i'm like what you know so um you get questions like that and eventually i'm just like i don't know i would google that and <laughs> do, do you get so, questions like that are they, are they still yeah it was weird like i think one of the interviews they were asking me about a lot about Azure SQL 
and I'm keeping it highly available and how it, you know, like, Ooh, God, you know, like it's been a while since I've messed around with SQL, you know, so got interesting. <laughs> never get the feeling that sometimes the really technical questions were because they have that problem right now. And they're trying to <laughs> yes. solve You're it. doing a little consulting right there on the fly. I did. They were like, we have this issue right now. How would you fix it? <laughs> it was with load like, balancing. Well, first I was charging you $300 an hour, and then I would try to fix it. <laughs> right. no, I, I have to admit, when I interviewed people, I would do the same thing. Like, hmm, how would you solve this problem? We tried this. <laughs> when I was, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people, and if I came up with any questions like that, it was less about, do they know the command line switch that does X, and more about... Yeah. What is their experience? I don't actually expect, I don't remember every line unless it's some oddball thing I've typed a million times. You know, right. I know I can look it up. I want to understand their thinking process and delve into how deep the experience is. If you ask some obtuse, obscure question, it's more about if you've been there before, just to, right. just to see where they're at and mind the depths and less about, I actually don't care if you know the answer on, on some level. It's more, how do you react to this honestly stupid question? <laughs> Well, yeah, if you show the problem solving skills, maybe, you know, you don't know it, but I would, you know, ask the customer this and then are they using this? And, you know, showing that at least proves, you know, you're taking the right steps to get the right information hmm. to solve it, even if you don't know the technology. So, yeah, I think that's really important. Like you said, mentioning how you would solve the problem. You might not have the answer, but at least you're attempting to gather the right data and address it. So, yeah, yeah. Now, the, the interviews you've done recently, I'm assuming those were all remote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of nice, you know, not having to drive everywhere and dress up. You know, I just wear a nice top, you know, and then sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> so, Admit it. On top party. Yeah. <laughs> so, any tips that you have beyond just putting on a nice shirt for anybody who is doing the remote interviewing thing? Because it, it is very different than being in person. Yeah, it, it's it, I find it harder because you can't read that body language. So, yeah, obviously dress professional, at least from the camera view <laughs> to show you're trying. I mean, I you, can, you can read some body language, Amy. I'm really enjoying this interview. Yeah, Ooh. thanks, Ethan. <laughs> oh. Take your nap. <laughs> Yeah, eye contact to the camera was weird, you know, because you're looking either at the video, you know, of the person or, you know, trying to show you're making eye contact. Ah, was a big deal. My dog would attack me sometimes during the interview and I'm like, come on. Like, ah. So I'd have to like lock myself somewhere. So that was a new one. I'm like, sorry, um, just one second. <laughs> well, did you focus on the quality of your sound and lighting? Um. Good question. I did because I would, well, I would join early, make sure my audio was working, the sound, um, the lighting for sure. Um, because again, this is your first impression. So if you're sitting in some dark room, they can't see you and hear you. I don't think it's going to go very well. I mean, right. it might, depending on what job you're going for. I, guess. <laughs> I, I mean, Ned and I live in a world where we're on uh, and or broadcasting something frequently. Mm -hmm. And so that's something we've had to, to deal with. We're, we're podcasters, among other sorts of presentations that we do. But a lot of people that we talk to don't seem mm -hmm. to 
they don't know what they sound like. Um, and so they're talking, they're yelling at their laptop and the room's very echoey and, uh, and you can solve that with a, with a headset very easily. Mm-hmm. Lighting is another thing. A lot of people, just the way their offices are situated, they happen to sit in front of a window. A lot of times the window's brightly lit, they're silhouetted. You can't see them. They mm-hmm. don't have anything that is front lighting their face. And you know, to me, I want to see if I'm interviewing someone, see that person as, as good as I can, because you do form yeah. a, uh, a bond there. There's a little bit of a human interaction. There's a trust thing going on. And so you mm-hmm. want to make the effort to present well on camera, uh, as good as you can. It's worth that extra effort. If you're trying to land that job, being the shadowy Definitely. person in a hoodie is, um, <laughs> maybe nerd stereotype, but that right. ain't working for an interview. Not for me. No, 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 I definitely, I would join early, check my lighting, check my audio. Or even before this, like Zoom was crashing. I'm like, oh God, thank God I checked before it started. So check all your, you know, make sure everything's ready. You don't want to join late because you're rebooting. And so you're more dependent on your technology for the interview because you're remote and good internet connection. I did have, like, I ended up doing one in the, I think in our basement where my husband set up in his office, but he's hardlined in. I was on Wi Fi and it was a little, sketchy i'm like crap i didn't test this so i mean it went okay but it was can you repeat that you know right right and and even though that's not necessarily your fault it can still leave a bad impression with the people interviewing you right just because they have a general bad feeling about the interview not not yes. you but like <laughs> yeah. unfortunately that that feeling and and so as someone who's done a lot of interviewing uh mm-hmm it's the esoteric stuff that that sits with you and you don't even realize how it's influencing your opinion of the person so right you know control whatever you can i guess exactly yeah (laughs) i think i did have a internet outage so i had to um use hotspot my phone and i'm like are you kidding me right (laughs) 10 minutes before So we are dependent on this, all this tech. Okay, you know? that's, yeah. <laughs> that's how I'd spin it. Right? right. It's like Starbucks is way too loud. That's not going to look. <laughs> right. So your interviews, you, you sort of mentioned this earlier that uh, with some of the interviews, one was very simple. You talked to the boss and then you talked to the manager and you were done. Oh, yes. But there so were nice. others that were multi-level, we could say. <laughs> uh, what is that experience like? And, and do you have any tips for people who are in that sort of multi-level interviewing arrangement? Right. Well, I've even seen people on LinkedIn, like they're complaining about it. Like we should get rid of this multi-level all day interview process. And I, I agree, you know, it's really how many more interviews you need before you you decide this person is worthy and you're going to hire them or um, so, yeah, it was refreshing to just, you know, talk to the boss. It was someone else in the group and the guy that was leaving. So he'd ask me the technical questions, the boss would, you know, see just, you know, he'd throw in some questions and then so would the other guy and it was maybe 45 minutes and bam, done. But then, yeah, the multi-tier, I would link and stalk to everybody, you know, like I'd look up their name, what's their background, where they came from, um, and go from there. So I'd kind of like my internal notes about the person, but honestly, you don't know until they start. So I'd be like, well, this person's going to do the tech interview and this person's going to, I don't know, see if you're a good fit. Uh, okay. Uh, so as far as preparing is there's only so much you can do. Like you said, 
um, or Ethan said, like, you're not going to remember some weird random <laughs> command if they decide <laughs> to ask you that. <laughs> um, but a lot of it was the problem solving. What would you ask? How would you go about figuring this out? And I was always, I think it was important to be honest. If you don't know, don't fake it. Don't mm-hmm. like, uh, <laughs> you know, guess. You know? <laughs> they know you're guessing. <laughs> so just be honest. Like, well, I would love to learn more about that. I haven't really dug into that much. So um, my special specialty is X, Y, Z, you know, so showing you're open to growth, I think is really important. I think personality is really important. You can always learn tech. You can't learn, especially customer facing. You can't really teach someone people skills, I would think, you know, to a point, you know, if they're just, you know, the guy in the hoodie who wants to sit in the basement to code, you know, <laughs> does a lot of human interaction. I mean, he's not going to go out there and sell your, your cloud practice. You know? Yeah, exactly. Right. It depends on the role. They might be great at writing code for you. Just don't put them in front of other humans. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully that interview process would be a little different when they're looking for that personality fit and that cultural fit. You know, that's obviously going to be dependent on the role. You're a developer or a cloud advocate. So that's a that's a customer facing and a public facing role. You have to be out there and, uh, you know, at least a little extroverted, you know, a little yeah. bit friendly and able to interact with other human beings. But the person writing the the code in the background, maybe they don't. Maybe they just need to be able to communicate well in written form. And that's it. Exactly. We pause the podcast for a couple of minutes to introduce sponsors Strong DM's Secure Infrastructure Access Platform. And if those words were meaningless, Strong DM goes like this. You know how managing servers, network gear, cloud VPCs, databases, and so on, it's this horrifying mix of credentials that you saved in PuTTY and in super secure spreadsheets and SSH keys on thumb drives and that one doc in SharePoint you can never remember where it is. It sucks, right? Strong DM makes all that nasty mess go away. Install the client on your workstation and authenticate. Policy syncs, and you get a list of infrastructure that you can hit. When you fire up a session, the client tunnels to the strong DM gateway, and the gateway is the middleman. You know, it's a proxy architecture. So the client hits the gateway, and the gateway hits the stuff you're trying to manage, but it's not just a simple proxy. It is a secure gateway. The StrongDM admin configures the gateway to control what resources users can access. The gateway also observes the connections and logs who is doing what, database queries and kubectl commands, etc. And that should make all the security folks happy. Life with StrongDM means you can reduce the volume of credentials you are tracking. If you're the human managing everyone's infrastructure access, you get better control over the infrastructure management plane. You can simplify firewall policy. You can centrally revoke someone's access to everything they had access to with just a click. StrongDM invites you to 100% doubt this ad and go sign up for a no BS demo. Do that at strongdm.com slash packetpushers. They suggested we say no BS, and if you review their website, that is kind of their whole attitude. They solve a problem you have, and they want you to demo their solution and prove to yourself it will work. strongdm.com slash packetpushers and join other companies like Peloton, SoFi, Yext, and Chime. strongdm.com slash packetpushers. And now, back to the podcast. Amy, as your interview goes on, there's questions, discussion, back and forth. Are you taking notes as this process goes along? I mean, I should have, but no. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, no. 
I didn't know it was right or wrong. You know what I mean? Like sitting there with a notebook, you know, so I, I didn't. So I just, I literally had my laptop on my lap for some of them. So that probably wasn't the best setup. <laughs> Cause it, but it had better lighting, you know, and until I had got my office set up and then, so I only had my one screen, you know, I'd have some notes scribbled down and then hope for the best. But then as I interviewed more, I would, you know, have sticky notes of something or, you know, just something I could reference quick if I mm-hmm. drew a blank. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, I did not take notes. <laughs> well, the reason I, the reason I bring that up is, uh, in conversations, especially when there's a lot of back and forth, or if there's more than just two people involved, maybe there's multiple people involved. Conversations move fast and there can be a point made where you want to follow up on it or you want to know more or you didn't get a chance to say something that was actually pretty important and to make sure Mm -hmm. you were fully understood and and heard you needed to make a point. And so I've found it's been helpful just to to sketch down something quick, even if it's two words, just to remind myself, oh, I wanted to go back to that point and and be able to make that point to whoever I'm chatting with uh, during that interview Uh, can can really be helpful. Yeah. Um, so why didn't you do it, is, Amy? You why didn't you do track. it? You're talking, you know, you're like, oh, wait, what was I, what was the original question? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's probably a good idea to take notes. <laughs> One thing that I did when I was going through a multi-level, uh, I want to say multi-level marketing, but that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be funny. Not buying your essential oils. Like, okay. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, align my chakras. Um, <laughs> What I would do after the interview was jot down a couple of quick notes because what I said in one interview or what someone told me in one interview might come up in a future interview because I know that the yeah. interviewer is taking notes about mm. me. So I just want to make sure, you know, I'm presenting a consistent image. Uh, and, you know, if something interesting came up that maybe that person didn't know the answer to, I could write it down um, and ask the next person in the chain if it's still relevant. So, <laughs> I, yeah, that was... Yeah what I did, but I, I like Ethan's idea too, of just jotting down a, wow. Okay. We went down a rabbit hole, but I still want to ask you about this. Thing. But you reminded me of something else I've done in the past, Ned, which is uh, like a follow-up email and, and, you know, and a couple of quick yeah. notes where you wanted to say something back as a, you know, Hey, thanks for the opportunity to interview. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. our conversation. And, you know, we were talking and then this had come up and uh, you know, I wanted to make sure I, uh, you, I under, you understand where I'm coming from and you know, something just to tip your mind about what it was you should email them back about kind of thing. Those follow-ups right. never, to me, there's never a, a bad thing to do something like that. Maybe in 2021, I don't know. Maybe it's everyone I, I DMs. And, they encouraged it. They were like, yeah. you know, if you have any questions or you want to add anything, feel free to email us. So yeah. That's, okay. <laughs> Like what I should have said was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or, or or even you know, hey, you know that one question and I couldn't remember the answer. Well, I went and I actually mm-hmm. looked it up, and here's the here's the thing you were looking for the details on. Here's some details. It just it demonstrates mm-hmm. that you care, and you're you're, you're taking the time to do some follow up like that is exactly worthwhile. It can leave a good impression. Yeah, it doesn't hurt. In that same vein, do you write down or have a list of questions you want to ask the interviewer during the process? <laughs> Again, uh, no, <laughs> but um, it was pretty much like gut and intuition. So, yeah. okay. um, and again, a big company is going to be way different than a small little startup. So like talking about like, 
you know, either being on call or what what's required as far as East Coast, West Coast hours, you know, if they're global, you know, national, global, you know, so one was a UK based company. So you had to think about that time zone, too. So um, life impacting questions were definitely, you know, like the whole work life balance was important to me because, again, I want a job, but I also I'm not going to. You know, I've done enough in my career where I just want a job that's a good fit. I don't want to sacrifice my life for it. <laughs> um, so those were the important questions for me. It was culture and, you know, the work-life balance. How do you treat, you know, how do people get treated, you know, because some people, you know, we have unlimited PTO, but do you actually let people take it or are you shaming them? For, you know? <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And- in terms of, of questions, I would sometimes write down questions ahead of time just because I would get swept up in the conversation of, in the interview and I might forget what those questions are. Mm. Uh, but that's just my personality flaws shining through. So I need that, I need that list to remind me, oh, you really did want to ask about like PTO or yeah. you know, a travel percentage or, or whatever it was that was relevant about that role. Yeah, a big one I'd always ask is like, what was like one of your best days at work? What's one of your worst days? You know, like how you know, how, how did it go? Like, you know, that's always interesting. <laughs> you were talking about the work-life balance thing, Amy, and it's still in startup culture, especially hustle culture, work yeah. yourself to death. It's all for the job and, and all of that. Now I think, in a, I don't think we mentioned it actually in the podcast recording, but you interviewed with something like five different companies or something like that before <laughs> yeah. you took the gig with Microsoft. Yeah. Well, What's the status of that uh, hustle culture thing? Are you finding companies that are expecting you to basically give all for the company or is work-life balance being emphasized more? It was definitely being emphasized more. So that was good. Good to see with the large and the small. I did stay away from any like total startup, like where you're wearing 10 hats and then you're, you know, then obviously you're going to be working 50, 60, who knows how many hours. Mm. And, you know, I have a family and I like to see the daylight. So uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to go for any like small startup. Cause someone did refer me like, you know, if you start and then you get some buy-in to, you know, the stock of the company, if they ever go, you know, get big and mm. like, eh. I just, yeah, I just, want a good fit and some good benefits and provide for my family. So what does the work-life balance thing mean to you? Is it about like hours? Is it about travel? Is it about PTO sick time? How do you, how do you, what's your gauge where you're like, yeah, they got, these guys have it right. Good work-life balance. Mm -hmm. PTO is important to me for sure. I, you know, I love to travel. So and that's how I recharge. So, and I'd like to not get bothered on <laughs> PTO because, yeah, I mean, growing up in this culture, you used to have that kind of pressure, check your emails, you're on call, you know, or not even if you're on call, but just be available. So I think as time has gone on, companies realize they get a better employee back if they, you know, let them take PTO, leave them alone, you know, <laughs> and unless it's like something's on fire and they're the only ones that have the answer. Um, let people recharge and be with their families and then they come back ready to go. Um, so that's really important. Um, so a decent amount of PTO and hours, a lot of them were kind of like, as long as you get the job done, we don't care what, you know, 
So I used to have that feeling, at least in sales, of being tethered to my team's chat or I am, you know, be always accessible. And I like that idea of unless you, you know, you have something to be on, you could walk away and walk your dog or, you know, go pick up your dry cleaning and then come back and work some more. So having that flexibility is nice. Um, or take your kid to school, you know, those two things were big, like not being tied to my laptop, like 24 seven, because I did have that at least being on the infrastructure side, on the customer side. And it makes sense because you're a small company, maybe five people, a storage admin, a VMware admin, a network admin, and you got to make sure everything's running all the time. And if something goes wrong, they're calling you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, ideally you end up in a role that's got a little more flexibility and yeah. a little more independence. Mm-hmm. So you do need to, like you said, take take your kids to school or you want to go on a field trip with them. Yeah. You have the flexibility to to do that and enjoy being a parent as well as an employee. Exactly. But but being able to be gone, not present on Slack, let's say, for an hour mm-hmm. and not be criticized for it because I sent you a DM and you didn't respond to me immediately. It's like, yeah, I have a life, you know, there's things I got to do. And it's not, you know, babysitting slack, waiting for someone to ask me a question. Right. But I I don't know that all companies are like that. There's some of that where you just feel that pressure. I have had those jobs where because of on-call related to infrastructure maintenance, I had to have a laptop and a pager with me. Pager (laughs) goes back in time. But you know, yes, but I had to have that. I I couldn't go to a restaurant with my wife without having the kit with me in the car, just Uh in case the pager went off or later on it was the cell phone. And that's unsustainable. You, you you talked about burnout right at the the very top of the, uh, the, the interview, Amy. And yeah, that's how you get there when you never Uh have a chance to disconnect. So, but it sounds like what you're saying is the call, the companies you're talking to, everybody's sensitive to that. I think the pandemic certainly brought that to the fore where the amount of stress people were coping with in their life, trying to, well, like Ned, I know you got summoned to deal with kids unexpectedly because of the pandemic <laughs> a lot. That was a thing. Fairly often. Yes. <laughs> it, it, yeah, so, and I felt very fortunate to have that flexibility to, to do that. I can't imagine someone who, or, or, you know, me 10 years ago trying to deal with the pandemic uh, and with my job. Um, I don't know if I would have survived. <laughs> right. I, I don't think, I mean, there was a time I took the batteries out of the pager and threw it like, like, mm. just, like I can't take this. You know? mm. So yeah, during the pandemic, no way. And I think companies were just hard in the beginning. I know my husband, I was like bringing him food. He was tied to his computer. Cause it was just like, you got salespeople who aren't traveling. You got everyone. So they think every block of your time is available back to back to back to back. It's like, no, you know? bio break and you know, yeah food yeah. <laughs> so I'm like bringing him food and, you know, like, so at least i had the flexibility to keep him alive and then keep the kids e-learning oh god that was horrible yeah and trying to work that was yeah <laughs> so amy i got a i got a parting question for you um i i am hearing that the job market for tech talent is pretty much excellent extraordinary hard for companies to find talent. And so if you've got some skills, finding a job is, is pretty doable. Would you agree with that or disagree? Yeah, I think right now, I mean, not to be like, like I'm all this, but I got to interview and I got to choose. I didn't, you know, have to like jump at the first available job offered to me. I got to weigh my options 
and even put some on hold until the right fit came along. So I think don't cut yourself short interview. You might not know everything. Um, they even say interview for the job you want to be in the future. Maybe you can't do it now, but you, you grow into it as you, you know, as you are uh, stumbling over my words here, um, you acquire the skills as you yeah. grow with the position. So I think people are open to that, you know, so if you're flexible with pay, you know, you might not get the top tier pay, but they'll let you come in and you're eager to learn, then go for it. Well, Amy, how can people follow you on the internet? Ooh. Um, yeah. And I'm help- happy to help anyone try to, you know, whether it's just getting into a company I used to be at, you know, stalk me on LinkedIn. Um, so I'm on LinkedIn as Amy Collier. I think that's the URL as well. Um, and then on Twitter as weird girl, <laughs> it was an old, my old Yahoo. Yeah, you better spell w- that one. <laughs> yeah. W Y R D G I R L. Um, it's yeah. I was like 16 when I picked that name. So <laughs> 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 and then I t- <laughs> Or my email address and then it translated to twitter so <laughs> um but now i'm like yeah let's keep it yeah and people are like what's wired girl like, yeah forget it never mind <laughs> um it, uh, yeah you- linkedin twitter i don't really have i mean skylines academy is still up and alive and everything and running but i'm not really going to be affiliated with them obviously with the microsoft gig um so i don't really have a personal blog or anything so twitter would be best or linkedin Perfect. Amy, thanks for being on day two cloud today. And thanks to you for listening in. We have got a tech bite coming up for you next. Another in the Singtel series that we've been running about cloud networking, how to design that, how to get your enterprise MPLS hooked up with the cloud properly and so on. So stay tuned for that. We are in a six-part series with Singtel about cloud networking. That is, how to make your existing wide area network communicate with cloud services in an effective way that maybe your legacy WAN isn't able to. Today is part two of six, and we're chatting with Mark Seabrook, Global Solutions Manager at Singtel, about the complexity of cloud-ready networks today. Mark, welcome back. Second time we've been able to chat with you, and... what is a cloud-ready network, Mark? We got to define that because it sounds a little hand-wavy and marketing-y. So give us a, a little bit of a clue what we're talking about here with a cloud-ready network. Yes, that's that's kind of a loaded question. I would say that a lot of corporate networks out there, they aren't ready for the cloud. So that's exactly the problem that we're trying to fix and we do fix on a daily basis. <laughs> okay, wow, so, throw some sheet at those networks. <laughs> well, shots fired, man. I mean, it's like, okay, I have an existing MPLS WAN. It's been deployed globally. At one point in my career, my title was Global WAN Manager or something like that. And I know I can get cloud uh, connections plumbed into my MPLS WAN. I, and this is a world I'm familiar with. I know what these routers do. I've built them lovingly. Why do they fall short of being cloud ready, Mark, since you just, again, shots fired. Most of these networks are not ready for the cloud from your perspective. So, I mean, it depends on the on, you know, the the, the mission of the of the customer. But I mean, a lot of traditional MPLS networks, they're still fantastic for people who just want a very low, um, secure, gluey, uh, sticky connectivity. But if you want to make use of, you know, SD-WAN, um, the first first packet inspection, cloud breakout, uh, having all the granularity of what you can do with SD-WAN, 
you probably want to get away from MPLS, at least at the, at the branch level. A lot of our customers are going to a DIA, a twin DIA on a twin uh, SD-WAN setup. Well, let, let, let's back up here, Mark. Let's back up because you said uh, flexibility is the problem I have. That is my traditional MPLS network that I know and love and can hug the router isn't good enough because I don't have access to things like uh, breaking out to some third party service is going to do traffic inspection for me. Is that the point you're making? Yeah, absolutely. You know, anybody who's ever worked with a traditional MPLS network knows that if you want to make changes, you've got to go through, you know, change notifications. You're, you're dealing with uh, regular uh, vanilla routers on the CE and PE end. As far as cloud's concerned, going from a, a regular MPLS network with traditional Cisco routers to a uh, an SD-WAN uh, topology, to me, it's like going from a, a Cessna 172 to, say, an Airbus. Um, <laughs> you've just got so much, so much more flexibility with what you can do. And a lot of the traditional topologies with MPLS, it's just not cutting it. Uh, okay, I, I guess the point you're making about the vanilla routers is I can do IP transport, I can uh, get, uh, I, I can do tunnel terminations and this kind of stuff, but when you want to do fancy routing, something that's not, say, BGP or OSPF, something that's very deterministic for a, a path, I don't have that baked into most of whatever Cisco routers I've had sitting around on uh, terminating my MPLS edge for the last decade. Absolutely. And it's just also from a, a 10,000 foot overview. So with the biggest frustration with some of our uh, CIOs that we deal with, um, they don't have that 10,000 foot overview of an MPLS network. Sure, we've got portals. Um, we, can, we can show them all sorts of telemetry, but they don't have that uh, orchestrator type single plane of glass that you would get with an SD-WAN provider. And to be clear, we're not picking on Cisco. That's just, it's a common denominator sure. that everybody can relate to. Cisco will sell you a very robust SD-WAN solution in the form of their Viptela acquisition and all of that uh, IP that they've brought into uh, some of these routers that do give you some of that flexibility. But I think a bigger point here, Mark, if you're plumbed into a private MPLS network, then by definition, the resources you have access to are limited Versus if I do a DIA, direct internet access circuit, now I can plumb to, in theory, whatever services are out there, hang off the internet cloud that I can consume uh, on my way to the public cloud. Sure, absolutely. So a typical, you know, what we're seeing with a lot of our SD-WAN customers, we're putting in two DIAs. Maybe we're putting in two DIAs and an MPLS if it's that critical of a site. But that allows for the internet breakout. We can route all of the uh, internet breakouts directly to a Zscaler to scrub them for security. Uh, we can have all our tunnels going to private data centers. And we just gain a, a flexibility and an overview and a, a, a gooiness, if that's a word, that you just, <laughs> that you just didn't have with, with traditional, um, you know, 4,000 series Cisco routers on an MPLS network. Right. I think what you're really talking about is the user experience. The user right. experience that you get with SD-WAN is just, it's generally going to be superior to the older MPLS style of managing things. And especially if you're headed in the cloud direction, the user experience with the cloud sounds like it's a lot more akin to what you would see with SD-WAN than what you would see with the traditional MPLS network. 
Absolutely. And I mean, if a lot of our customers, if they're running the flavor of SD-WAN that, that they use, they're running it virtually within uh, a VPC or EC2 instances inside, let's say, AWS. So they're putting it on a, on a site, on a UCPE box, there really is no difference. It's just one virtual instance talking to another virtual instance. And getting away from uh, MPLS and doing more of a hybrid uh, DIA fiber internet uh, just gives them that flexibility to run with all this new technology. Is there much of a cost difference these days, Mark, of private MPLS versus DIA? Because that was a thing for a while, but I, it feels like costs have somewhat equalized. Is that true? Um, it depends where you go in the world. So, for example, in the U.S., yeah, DIA, I mean, in the U.S., DIA fiber internet is a lot cheaper and you've got you're inundated with providers. If you go to Vietnam or the southern Philippines, not so much. For example, some places around APAC, Indonesia, you can pay more for a fiber internet than a fiber handoff local loop from an MPLS network. Interesting. Yeah, I actually worked on a project where it was a law firm that had their primary office in North America, but they had a satellite office out in the Philippines doing a clerical work for them and the networking was backhauling everything for internet back to their location in Philadelphia and then out to the internet, which was an awful experience for anybody in the Philippines. They could have used you at the time. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark, what, what would you say if I'm a network operator who's got that private MPLS network that we've been talking about and my solution so far has been, I'm just going to map a connection into my private MPLS cloud from the public cloud providers that I'm consuming. So maybe I've got a connection from AWS and Azure into my MPLS cloud. Is that, is that that bad? Should I really be rethinking that? Depends on your mission. If you want to make use of all of the, um, all of the amazing features that SD-WAN provides, then you probably want to look at some internet breakout, but we do have customers. We'll work with customers that want to keep MPLS in a certain part of the world and then go to pure internet with SD-WAN in another part of the world and we'll link them together. We've even worked on one particular customer. It was a hundred sites in mainland China on Viptela. We kept those on MPLS within China to get around some of the um, restrictions and um, choke points in China. And then we will NNI them or link them into other parts of the world where we're doing pure internet. Hmm. I, I just had another architectural thought, Mark, that maybe you can answer. If, uh, if I go DIA as opposed to mapping cloud circuits into my private MPLS, do I also get an advantage with maybe latency profiles, that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, latency is always a tricky one, especially with internet. So we do have um, around the world our IP transit product, which is called STIX, uh, Singapore Telecom Internet Exchange. And we can actually do uh, deterministic routing from those gateways. So, uh, for example, in Asia, we do have SLAs for latency and we can guarantee a routing profile based on where that territory is pointing to. So Mark, if I'm operating a big MPLS network, now you're making me rethink architecture and, and change is hard. That's a thing. But uh, but but uh, the point you're making here is uh, there are different ways to be thinking about network architecture when you are connecting to cloud services. If you expect you know, two things, I think we can summarize this conversation with with two things. One, 
feature flexibility. What can I take advantage of if I do, say, twin DIA circuits and connect that way? And then to performance, am I going to optimize my performance to and from the public cloud as I consume those services with my old school private MPLS or, you know, going over in it? As you said, it can be tricky, but again, options. I can now design something that is optimized for application delivery where if I, all I've got is my old MPLS network, maybe I can't because the options, the, the design flexibility just isn't there. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what you just said there. That's that's a pretty good uh, synopsis of what what I see out there. Excellent. Well, Mark Seabrook of Singtel, we uh, we thank you for joining us on today's Tech Byte. And if people want to reach out to you because they got some questions about uh, Singtel or uh, moving off of their traditional MPLS, can they get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. You can hit me up on uh, LinkedIn uh, under my name. Excellent. Thanks for joining us, Mark. And thanks to you out there for listening. This was just part two of a six-part series. So we're going to hear more on building cloud-ready networks with Singtel in upcoming episodes. Part three will be in a couple of weeks, and we'll be tackling how SD-WAN fits into the cloud networking picture. SD-WAN helps us get where we need to go, but it, it is not as easy as you think. So tune in for that in a couple of weeks.